Hey all you budding adventurers, my name's James and welcome back to another episode of the 9to5ADV podcast where we talk affordable and accessible adventure bike riding. With me is my regular co-host Ross. Hey, how are you all doing this week? All you all doing, or me? Well, I don't know actually. I've just realised I said that and then realised that the audience can't reply. That's all right. I feel like I'm on a talk show. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Thanks, how, how Thanks for James? asking. The one person you're in the room with yeah. and you didn't even address me. But that's fine. That's no. fine. Um, we're going to jump straight in this week with our topic, which is all about uh, your first soiree into riding off-road. So you've got an adventure bike. You want to get out, um, get on the trails, uh, not sure how to approach it. So we're going we're gonna to run you through that and give you a nice step-by-step guide of how to how to start and then where to go from there yeah i mean those first first few steps off road can be quite intimidating can't they and knowing where to start how to prepare and everything's pretty uh pretty key mm. i think before we jump in at this so disclaimer for two things first of all the first part of this podcast is going to be talking about the legal terminology how to find trails uh and such and that will be specific to the uk obviously different countries have different rules when it comes to riding off-road and second to that when we talk about off-road talking about riding in the uk by off-road we mean we do still mean on road from a legal point of view um riding off-road unless it's on private property is not allowed so where you can ride in the uk are basically are still roads classed as roads but they are the trails which we'll get into in a minute but we'll st- we'll keep saying off-road so yeah, just- it's about as clear as mud really isn't it but basically what we mean is when whenever we say off-road we mean unpaved non-tarmac exactly yeah um and then another disclaimer as well that um neither of us are experts james isn't an expert neither of us are experts <laughs> we uh, <laughs> this is just advice uh, and tips that we've picked up from going to off-road adventure centers training um talking to other riders riders going out getting experience for ourselves reading youtube you know a a good few years of cumulative off-road riding that we've want to share with you yeah and like you said uh, both of us have been riding off-road now for a couple of years uh me primarily starting off mountain biking and then moving into the motorcycles james you haven't had that mountain biking background yours was i think you said last week started probably about five years ago on your tiger 800 didn't it yeah no i want to i want to talk about that um as a as a good entry into how i how i started because um it's basically everything you shouldn't do actually when you start riding off-road which is why the advice in this episode should be so valuable yeah, I like so, to think that I kind of learned from your mistakes and I sort of did it the right way. Yeah, so so watched, I watched everything James did and thought, right, do the opposite <laughs> and I'll be fine. So I think it's about uh, six years ago. I had a Phaser Yamaha Phaser six hundred. Sorry which to hear was that. A, it's a great bike. I don't yeah, know what no, you're talking no, about. No, they're all right. they're um, and I rode that to from here down in South Devon up to Snowdonia uh, for a weekend to meet a friend and it was the most grueling trip i'd done uh but i came back and i realized that this is amazing i've found i finally found my passion in bikes it's not going to get coffee on a sunday well it it is it is it is (laughs) but it's not it's not you know going and doing track days it's not doing this it's not doing that it is traveling and to me bike uh, a bike is is a traveling tool and that's where I get my passion to to see places, see the world, and have fun doing it. Um, 
so I decided I needed an adventure bike news of the adventure bike scene so I picked up an issue of Adventure Bike Rider magazine they were screaming about how amazing the the new 2015 Tiger 800 XCX was uh, they had a long term um, review model so they had they had a review every issue and then they had different articles where the the editors were all riding this bike and I thought this is the bike it's it's Triumph it's British it's that Land Rover Defender that I kept talking about it's the Land Rover Defender on two wheels I thought this is this is this bike will go anywhere um, so with I no problems with at no all. problems it will, and it will just carry you you literally thing. you literally just ride it out of the dealership and off you go yeah uh, so mistake number one so I went and I I bought I, I bought a new one brand new range um, topper yeah I went for the XCA actually because I wanted heated grips yeah. we started um, adding up the accessories in the XCX and it's a dangerous place the Triumph dealership isn't it yeah yeah and um, adding this adding that and then realized that a lot of the accessories I wanted was on this new model that was coming out it was the same model but the top of the range oh, so the XA wasn't the XA was out, out was, a, was a few months later uh, than the, the normal models that. yeah yeah and even better than that it came in matte khaki green which is the coolest colour for an adventure bike it has to be said that, yeah the, the matte green tigers do, do look cool yeah They're so, uh, so what, uh, what are we totaling up we're about 12 grand now yeah, I don't know what they were my, six, six my, years ago my now first, a lot more than that yeah my first brand new bike the first time in my life when I was comfortable in my in my career to to get a vehicle and finance so I, I I bought that waited for it to come it turned up I thought excellent I booked myself on the um, Triumph Adventure experience which at that point was through Trail Quest so that was the one in Malvern right yeah so yeah, they yeah. they now do Royal Royal Enfield Himalayans Triumph have since then built their own adventure centre um, but went up there did did the um, did the day one off-road training it was amazing i did it i rode up on my bike and then did it on their bike so they had xcx's proper tires and proper tires they had the caro threes uh went out did the day absolutely loved it thought this bike is can do everything and then a few weeks later i'd found a byway finished work and then thought right off i go and it was this lane down in in manhattan on dartmoor it's a cl- absolute it's, classic it's lane. It's so isn't nice. It? It's so nice because it, it goes into a valley. So you have a you have a descent, which I basically walked the bike down, <laughs> and then you have a nice flat section, which I rode along quite quite easily. Over the river. Over the river. Over a little bridge, isn't it? Over and then bridge. the fun starts. And then it's a nice hill climb with a hairpin bend halfway. So I got up there, got to the hairpin bend, got stuck, stopped the bike, and then burned my clutch out yeah um i didn't burn it completely out no you mentioned limp it so i managed to turn it around on this hill roll it back down to the bottom of the valley fiddle with the clutch cable till i had just the tiniest bit of bite and then somehow managed to get myself into gear back up out of the valley on the on the shorter side limp it back to back to bridge back to the (laughs) dealership um, they took the clutch cover off the next day and I'd snapped one of the clutch plates it, but it it ground them that much uh, it's, I think it's fair to say you've you've never actually lived that down here no. have you? no never so it's been an ongoing joke for six years now yeah <laughs> so this is the problem the adventure bikes out the door are not really suitable 
the no. big the big difference here was experience and even more so tires that made the yeah. difference um i think the and part of the responsibility for that lies with the manufacturers because all of their marketing does show these bikes doing amazing things and, mm-hmm. and you can't help but get a little bit caught up in that and think oh wow yeah this this is it basically is an 800 cc motocross bike and of course it isn't and it takes an awful lot of skill and care to to get some of these bikes um into some of these places yeah. safely and uh and yeah. keeping them in good nick so i ended up never trail riding with that bike again uh eventually sold it after i had after i was knocked off the chap that um bought that bike has still got it by the way has he yeah saw him the other day oh. very happy with it still oh good that's surprisingly good. <laughs> <laughs> um i hope he's not listening to this <laughs> <laughs> and then um so i had a triumph scrambler which we took on under some dusty farm trails once just for fun never didn't do anything proper oh yeah i remember that yeah, yeah. i took the crf demo yeah with us didn't we and we'd never i'd never really done anything either at that point no and then we went and then and then i had an xsr and so if we fast forward a bit i decided i want to get back into an adventure bike so i bought i, I thought the tie i really like the tiger so i'm going to get back into the tiger so i got a second hand white xca um so exactly the same bike. exactly the same bike and then this time i did it properly i put proper tires on i put a Upright, upgraded a clutch that I changed, which I talked about back in episode one. Gearing, yeah, I changed the sp- yeah, changed the sprocket so it's yeah, it's yeah. much more responsive down in first gear. This is where most of my experience came from with this bike, and that was when I first got into it. Again, similar similarly, I went out on road tires, found a lane, took it really slow, um, and in a much easier lane, but actually had a load of fun on it. And I remember posting a picture on Instagram, and that's kind of from there it kind of spurred a little the group of us to start i mean i yeah it has to be said i, I definitely owe it all to you um because i yeah i wouldn't have got into it i don't think without your your kind of enthusiasm and i always liked the idea of it but i think it's one of these things until you until you have a group of mates doing it or um or you're passionate enough yourself to really get on and do it um yeah it's just something that, that always felt a little bit out of reach or yeah I, just a little. I think that's a that's that's the thing a lot of people think this is this is too skillful for me but it's not you everyone you have to start day one and you have to sort yeah. of stumble your way through you know i didn't go out with a fully none of us went out with a fully ready capable bike you do you do one little thing and then you come back and, you, and we'll talk about oh, this at the end but you yeah, come yeah. back you oh i want to change this you change that and and you slowly you change and the bike changes and that's one of the things that did it for me was i was lucky enough to go um on a, a yamaha dealer experience up to silverstone and they they just let us let us loose in a field basically on some yamaha motocross bikes and at that point i just thought actually yeah this is this is absolutely fantastic and i can see myself having a lot of fun with this and um so it was around that following christmas and you just got your tiger and you had a plan for us to go and ride the the taffy dakar so you've just before you carry on you've you took a slightly different route to me i've i've been much more on the adventure side on the bigger side of the adventure bikes not yeah. not, as, not as far as the 11 1200 no but no but mine, mine, so mine has always been a lot smaller and i it's sort of similar to you in in that having to you can't have every every type of bike in the garage right but um so i decided to get a crf 250 rally first which i still think is probably one of the best starter adventure bikes on the market the, either the rally or the l um they're they're four stroke hondas 
25-ish horsepower, so not quick or anything, but they are absolutely bulletproof. They've got 8,000-mile service intervals, which means that you can actually do distance on them, unlike an enduro bike. Um, the suspension's rubbish, the brakes are rubbish, they're underpowered, but they're just really dependable. And uh, so I bought yeah, a CRF 250 Rally. I bought it, I think it was six months old, had 200 miles on it or something. And yeah, we, we started going out green laning together, didn't we? Um, with with the, t- the CRF and the Tiger. And it was um, little, and, little and large, really. A lot but, of fun. Um, a lot of fun, yeah. And interestingly, you saying about preparing your bike with tyres. I think you said this last week. That was the first thing to go on my, on my CRF was changing for... Uh, a set of i believe it was pirelli mt21s i changed them to um from the standard ones which were kind of okay but in anything sloppy uh just a real mess so i changed that added a little bit of crash protection some proper handguards and that was it really we were we were out virtually every week then weren't we yeah especially um, all through winter oh yeah i mean i i still maintain i prefer i prefer green laning in the winter personally mainly because i'm mountain biking always takes precedence for me when the weather's good um, but in the winter, yeah, getting out in the in the slop and splashing through puddles and rivers and things is is just hilarious. And it's another great reason if you've got an adventure bike to start trail riding, because in the winter, so many people just put their bikes yeah, away. Yeah, put their bikes away and, and don't ride, ride them. And riding on road, you get you can get freezing get cold, really cold. You know, and yeah. but trail riding, even on the coldest day, you know, you might freeze your butt off getting there getting and back. There, oh, you're sweating when you're on the trails. Yeah, halfway down your first trail, and you are just I think I do more miles on motorbikes in the winter at the moment than I do mm-hmm. from from like I'd say from October to March I do more miles than I do from April through to September. Yeah, which is the opposite way around to most riders, but it's kind of testament to how fun riding off-road is. So you've gone from the um the Honda CRF250 Rally, you've kind of got a WR. Yeah, so I guess and, and some of that again comes from being used to through cycling used to smaller lighter bikes and having the flickability uh and just being able to be a a little bit more playful with them so to me the thing that always bugged me with the honda was the lack of power the lack of um quality in the suspension so going to a wr made loads of sense because that thing will it'll power wheelie in virtually every gear the suspension's much much more supportive um and i can ride it a lot quicker and a lot more confidently on the lanes the downside is it's much more temperamental um and in an ideal world i should be servicing it every probably five six hundred miles as opposed to every eight thousand well so. most times when i asked you if you want to go out you say there's something wrong with the with the wr yeah exactly there's <laughs> normally yeah there's normally some some little thing that needs addressing on it and i mean that part partly that's because it's an older one i suppose if i bought a brand new one i wouldn't have any of those yeah. issues but yeah because they are good bikes oh, great bikes absolutely so yeah i suppose having spoke about all of that kit wise what did you start off wearing um so to begin with i went out with um i always had textiles so i had alpine stars andy's textile trousers textile jacket which is still a sort of adventure touring it's an event- yeah it's an adventure touring like it's piece, the longer yeah. piece the longer style jacket sure yeah, design yeah. you know and if you've got an adventure by the chance are you've probably got textile kit i had my ariac 6 three so that's just a normal road, road helmet road right? helmet okay um i went out with because i went out in december so i went out with my winter gloves on and to start with there's nothing wrong with that setup we'll talk a bit later on about changing kit but you know unless you're going out in like a, a leather one piece pretty much what you've, what you've got, got will do will be okay you'll quickly learn what needs changing yeah 
you know, thicker gloves make it more difficult to sort of yeah, finger the absolutely. clutch and the brake on like your descents, for example. Your helmet will get, you'll get hot. Very steamed up. Very quickly. Yeah. Uh, and you'll want lighter, more flexible kit. But, but don't the, think you need to spend no. two grand on kit just to get started is your point, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You can start slow and because, you know, this might not end up be being for everyone. You know, and there's no, be. and it, it, I mean, it should be because it's great. But a lot, <laughs> no, but for it, some people, it, you know, it, you might think, okay, I need to do this and buy this and buy this and buy this before I can go out. Mm. And then you go out and, and you don't like it. Yeah. What, yeah. what, what, yeah, what I'm suggesting is that just to get a taste for it, just to begin, you know, what you've got will we'll be, will be okay. And we'll cover later on. And you're very, you know, you very quickly realize what isn't suitable and, and you'll want to change that. Mm. So, how do I find a trail, James, in the UK? Just okay. anywhere, just see a farm track, ride up it, right? Raz around the field? No. Okay. No. Um, I think oh. we've, we have been through one or two fields accidentally. Yeah, and this is... <laughs> and this is uh, no, this is true. And there's always going to be navigational errors, isn't there? But. It's very... It's, it's, cam- it's quite daunting and quite complicated. So, these are the best ways to work out that what you're riding on is legal and you won't get the police coming after you or angry farmers Farmer shotgun. exactly so that hasn't happened to us yet, no. by the way yeah <laughs> so like we said before the, when we talk about off-road we do still talk about roads so in the uk um any road that is either a boat which is stands which is an acronym for byway open to all traffic which is usually signposted public byway or unclassified country roads which is ucr which is again usually signposted as unclassified country road or country road now these are the these are the legal definitions of the 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 trails that aren't paved roads that we are allowed to ride on and they're usually historically they're proper roads that have pretty much just fallen into disrepair aren't they? they're public right-of-ways that hundreds um, and years hundreds of years ago would have been mm. used by horse and cart and whatever and yeah and it sounds it sounds a bit okay well it's just going to be old roads then but it's not you get everything from (laughs) from gravel to granite to tiny narrow gaps that uh you know ross's wr would just fit through and my tenere never would fit through Um, right at riverbeds and riverbeds huge open fields we've we've had we've come across everything yeah Um, it's really really diverse one of the best things is is a big blue sign that says unsuitable for motor vehicles you've probably seen that if you've ever driven anywhere near the countryside and well i remember the first time i think we went and we got to one of those signs and you were leading you said right it's up here and i thought well hang on surely we can't go up there because there's literally a sign telling us not to yeah but then what we since discovered is that those signs are literally just put up by the council effectively to cover their own backs don't go driving around in your ford fiesta yeah if you drive a motor vehicle up here and you get stuck you can't sue the council (laughs) Mm, but it is perfectly legal so yeah um there's lots of different styles of roads so restricted byways bridleways footpaths they are illegal and not allowed to go you're not allowed to go down and it can be quite confusing because some some councils like when we went in wales it was they they did a fantastic job they color-coded remember when we did the taffy dakar they color-coded so if you're in the middle of of the woods you would have okay well this color is a byway so crack on this this um this trail over here is a bridal way which is this color so don't go down here uh other councils and, and areas are not so well and friendly. some byways can be subject to local bylaws that can restrict access to only two-wheeled 
yeah. motor vehicles and say no four-wheel ones and which doesn't really so that's not a worry for us but in terms of working out access it can be can be quite complicated it's it's very confusing technically the chances of actually getting charged for using them is actually as i read online is actually it's incredibly cool. slim yeah um i think uh matt who we ride with he got a letter the other day someone filmed them and they really? were i think they were on a bridal way by accident right and they did they got a letter from the police just saying don't do it again oh basically. that's interesting okay. um but the the problem is there's a really fragile reputation in, in this country um for people driving four by fours and riding yeah. bikes and especially in the countryside which is where obviously most of these lanes are you have small counties and small communities and yeah not 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 to mention you've got you know the natural environment and there is no getting all away from the fact that our bikes cause a lot more damage than a walker does yeah and and i think we've got to be so it's, um, it's a reputation that, to that we as riders have all got to try and play our part and and stop councils from petitioning to close yeah, and restrict yeah, absolutely restrict byways which they which they do now one of the best ways to try and mitigate that is and also the easiest way to actually get a map or a list of where you can ride is to join what's called the trail riders fellowship or the trf now it costs about 60 pounds a year which it's may not sound a lot of money is it it's not let's be honest it's not for the work you, they I do mean, it's not a lot of money you might think okay 60 quid a year for it just for a map seems a lot but it's not because they like you said the councils that will impose certain restrictions they keep that constantly up to date so and it's the trf that then will lobby the council and try and defend the rights exactly. to keep the, the lanes open prove that they are being used that they're relevant yeah so your money goes your money goes to a lot of a lot of work are they and a charitable organization or I oh i don't know i'm not but sure the money but they go to you know they help repair lanes that have yeah. been damaged um so like ross was saying a second ago yes we cause more destruction than a walker or horse rider but in the same vein we by joining this you're also paying to mitigate that. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like a when you do a carbon offset or something it's yeah, it's a good yeah. way to do it. i mean in the in devon there's about 1100 lanes so that many yeah wow. and, and for 60 quid a year to have that constantly updated and know exactly what i we can ride on and it's just on google maps it's pretty invaluable isn't it really yeah perfect um but say you don't want to you're maybe not, to start with at least yeah you know the, you know we're we're just checking out see whether we like it then you don't want to maybe chuck 60 quid um so there's a few ways of of trying to find these yourself now number one is to actually check the public rights away section on your local council website now some counties are pretty good with this yeah so wiltshire is a perfect one because okay. they've got salisbury plain sure, so they understand the that people come and... from all over the country to ride their drive yeah, their 4x4s yeah. and ride their their motorbikes so they have a, a, a perfectly comprehensive and color-coded map that shows you exactly what is byway what is restricted byway what is footpath yeah. what is bridleway easy peasy other counties such as our lovely home county of devon <laughs> is is really bad less clear so yeah. I went on their one and they've got an interactive map. You think, great, interactive oh, map, up brilliant. to date. Um, you click on it and then I had my TRF map open next to it and they've got all the footpaths and all the bridleways. Right. And they have not a single byway that I could find. Okay. And they said, oh, this isn't, you know, this might not be up to date. Yeah, of course it's not yeah. up to date because I haven't put a single one on the website. <laughs> so, which I think is stupid because if you've got a problem 
If yeah. people don't like it, then at least make it so that people know where to go. Every then everyone knows. You know, footpaths. Okay. Well, the, just, more, the more ambiguity there is, the more chance that people are going to go get on, it wrong. get it wrong, and go on places that are and, illegal. Yeah, absolutely. You know. So um, the, the one surefire way, presumably, is to grab an OS map. Yeah, OS maps are the are the best way because they'll clearly mark on um, public byway. And, and that's then, uh, green crosses, isn't it? Yeah, but then they also there's also another one which a lot of the ones in Devon, for example, are called. I can't remember what it's called. I think it's other. I think it's um, road with other access or something. Okay, yeah. Um, which is more am- ambiguous. So using that, and I, when I started out, I used that in a combination of Google Street View. So I would find yeah, yeah. a trail that what well, I thought was a byway, and then I go on Google Street View. Because Google Street View won't obviously do the, the byway, the but, by they'll go the pa- but they'll car. go past it. <laughs> yeah. So they'll... You can at least see the entrance so you go the on Google, Yeah. And then then what's the best case scenario is you either see unsuitable for motor vehicles, you see a little green sign that says public byway or yeah. country road, then you know 100%, bang. Crack on. That's Then you can chuck it into Google Maps and off you go. Yeah. I mean, we use a G, the TRF GPX overlay a lot of the yeah. time, don't we, on... Um, using google maps yeah. and then we've we've waymarked and you can drop little pins and you can make notes to yourself and and all sorts and you're going to just grow that grow the map with time don't you? you work out which trails are good which ones are harder which ones work in which conditions better which mm. ones are busy full of walkers etc um and that kind of leads us on to the next point doesn't it um which is about sharing these trails with other users yeah so like i was saying before we were talking about um you know the legality of what you can and can't can't ride on and so you have footpaths bridleways and byways are your main ones so a footpath obviously just pedestrians can go along yeah bridleways horse riders and pedestrians can go and along. cyclists and cyclists byways pedestrians cyclists horse riders and motorized vehicles yeah so it doesn't mean that was well, exactly the same as a, as a road yeah it does just because it's a bio doesn't mean that you can expect it to be empty except for yeah. other motorcycle users. So bombing down one at 50 miles an hour, which I can't imagine you'll be doing anything <laughs> like anyway. That. Well, I think the TRF rec- recommends, and this is the thing, they don't have a they don't have a speed limit per se. I suppose, the sp- I guess the speed limit is 60. Would be national speed limit, I'd I guess, imagine, because they are still roads. You'd be mad. The TRF say, I think 25, is that right? About 25, I think they, they advise. You know, which for most of the time, you you'll struggle to get up to that speed anyway but if you you know sometimes you're on a nice open gravel track or open flat place and you can see you know a mile ahead of you you know sometimes you you will go a little yeah, bit no, fa- a little bit faster but the, but the point is that be prepared that there will be other users well it should really be exactly the same as in theory that you should be riding on the road stop well within the distance you can see to be clear exactly if you're tearing around a bend at 30 miles an hour on a byway be prepared to find a, a horse there yeah a, a jeep coming the other way a yeah. walker um or it could just be a, a tree that's fallen over mm. I mean, this is the other thing i mean put aside all the other users of the trails um these things are not maintained and they are changing on a weekly basis if there's a storm a tree's going to come down yeah no one's going to clear it yeah well not for a long time and it is it is rare that you do come across these people but you know perfect example it was our first ride after lockdown when we could ride yeah. together and the byways were full there was of, loads of, of horse around. riders and and dog walkers and everything but we didn't have a single problem no and, and that comes down to the attitude you put across as a rider i think yeah yeah um, being 
you know i've not got the neither of us have the quietest exhaust we nope. haven't got you know we haven't got garish well, they, they still get three mot's but yeah but um you know we we come down we're on bikes and when you have your face covered as well which immediately takes away it part of um you know it's a big thing being the ability to smile at someone and initially i think a motorcyclist can look quite intimidating hmm. um yeah definitely but it's just how you how you respond to those people and just and you know in any instance we will always we always slow down we really, you do slow down especially if someone's got a dog um yeah. that's normally because the you know you can spook the dog the dog can run off run under the bike whatever so and could then damage your bike yeah you could run over a dog and fall off and that'd be terrible it would which isn't very good because it um, damage my bike <laughs> but horse riders i love dogs don't worry good good i've lost my strain of thought now <laughs> jeez you can cut that out um no horse riders uh we always stop we Switch always turn off. Our, turn, our, turn off our engine because you never know um i've grown up with horse riding and you never know how, what the mentality of a horse most of the time they're fine sometimes they'll spook and and then you know they can injure yourself or injure the rider yeah and it's it is shared space you know at the end of the day it shouldn't be well they've got brighter ways they should stay on brighter ways no they've got just as much right to be on these as as us yeah definitely and with horses wait until they've gone well past you before switching your engine back on you're almost better off leaving your engine running than switching it off and waiting for the horse to get a meter past you before firing it up (laughs) (laughs) sound like a gunshot's gone off for the poor poor animal so (laughs) let's now we've so those of you overseas you can start listening again now you can put your phone down uh, because we're going to start looking at off-road riding basics yeah and can we just say we are so jealous of all of you guys that live in spain and portugal and that have phenomenal states and australia that just have miles and miles and miles miles of unpaved desert road and at least we're not scotland Scotland's got nothing. It's only private land that you can ride on off-road. Is that right? You have a right to roam, but on foot, so you can camp anywhere, but... Yeah, because te- technically in Scotland, you can camp in someone's back garden, I think, is... Can you? Yeah, because you have a right to I roam. I know there's a right to roam, but I didn't think it covered back gardens. <laughs> no, there's some weird thing, like, you can't infringe on someone's privacy. <laughs> so, like, if you're literally right outside their conservatory, so probably not. So if they've got not. their curtains closed... <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's okay. Oh... Right, so off-road basics. Um, now, like we said, this is this is just what we've learned and picked up from our our time riding. But um, especially if you're an adventure bike rider and you're on a bigger machine, so middle, you know, anything sort of six hundred, five, six hundred cc yeah. up. I know that the first two times I did it, I went on my own, but I wouldn't recommend that. No, you could have. You, I mean, you were quite lucky, and you you probably, with I'd, hindsight, could have got into a lot more trouble yeah. than you did so i've got a good story here because my th- well what's actually really fun is on saturday i'm heading up to salisbury plain oh you're going to see tom yeah so going up to see my brother so he's got an africa twin um which he bought we were intending on doing a, a nice like two week long trip to spain to ride the tet this year which isn't gonna happen um and he's had that bike since christmas i think it's quite a while just before so this will be this is actually yeah. going to be the first time that we've actually been able to ride together but he he took his bike off road. He did exactly the same as me on the road tires. Um, despite the fact you told him not to do anything. Despite any of this, the fact I told him not to. You said put tires on it, put bar um bike busters yeah, and, exactly. and all this. And he and he didn't and, and he, he went, went out nah, right. and he texted he didn't tell me and he texted me and he said, uh, I went down a trail, the bike went down, I broke my tail tidy, I smashed my handguard, I broke this. 
I'm not sure if this is for me. Oh, God. <laughs> and he said, I got stuck. It took me ages to put the bike back up. And I'm thinking, why did you do this? I told yeah. you not to do this. I told you. I yeah. specifically told you not to do what I did. And um, I wonder how many people are going to listen to this and ignore you as well. <laughs> Probably but it, everyone. But it, it's, 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 you know, you don't necessarily have to go out with someone experienced. I mean, we went out and we were, we were Both novices, equally inexperienced. But it's, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's that security of, you know, if the bike goes down or gets stuck somewhere, yeah. they've got someone else there. If someone gets injured, which is well, that's a huge part more it, important. It? Now, we've never had that issue, but yeah, it can happen and it, and it will happen. I mean, remember that time we went trail riding and I went off the trail into that old riverbed yeah, and yeah, the bike yeah. ended up upside Almost down. on top of you. You know, if um, I'd have been on my own. Oh, you, you, there's absolutely no way you could have got that bike out there on yeah. your own. It'd be impossible. So, so, so yeah, if, if, you, if you can, I mean really 100% try and go out with someone but if you can't and even if you do don't again talking about that sort of trail where you know you've got a, a three foot drop into a riverbed don't start on a trail like that scout the trail out first on foot ideally mm-hmm. um, and find something nice and flat and easy you just want sort of a a, a farm kind of farm track that style of thing just yeah. loose dirt nice and flat um, even just really really poorly surfaced yeah because well, well, because it's it's you're learning that the bike is gonna is gonna move in ways that it's never moved on the road and it's getting used to that yeah on the road we're taught that any movement of the bike is bad yeah and off-road it's just part of it it's just it? part of it so yeah even on even like you said just on a on a dirty farm track where you've got a bit of surface yeah, you can Probably. just get get used to rolling the power on, feeling the the rear tire brake traction, feeling where your where the limit of grip is with your brakes, that sort of stuff, mm. and uh, and getting used to the riding position. Yeah, um, because for the first time off road, it's going to feel quite alien to most people. I guess you're not um, riding in a way familiar to the road. You don't, you don't hang off the bike. You don't even sit down. What would be your your kind of uh, top tips for getting started with a, an off road riding position? Yeah, so up on the pegs, basically you can you can and I, a lot of time when we go out trail riding and I'm getting tired, I will, I will yeah, sit. On, on easier bits <laughs> of trail. Yeah. The, the problem with sitting is you want a bumpy surface, and the bumpier the surface, and you're bumping them down. If you're sat in the seat, you're you're bouncing against the bike, and that you're just constantly going to have your ass ba- bouncing and and hitting yeah. and and, and counter bouncing with the bike, and it's you're going to lose balance and and you're going to fall off and you're going to hate your time. So. Well, your knees are probably the best form of suspension you've got exactly. in the entire setup, right? Yeah. So even even on easy stuff that in a in a future trail ride you may be fine sitting down for, it's always good to get up on the pegs. It's going to make the ride smoother and it's going to get you starting to learn that body positioning. So up on the pegs, knees slightly bent so that it's able to absorb those. You don't want it straight because you're not, you know, no. you're... you're You've got to have suspension kind of in your body, so you've got to have yeah, that elbow slightly bent as well. Yeah, out to the side. You want to be a little bit forward as opposed yeah. to a little bit backwards. I think there's always a real temptation, isn't there, that you think I don't want to be forward because I feel like I'm going to go over the handlebars, mm. and realistically, that just that doesn't happen. Yeah, you want and you want to put some weight on that front wheel. Yeah, and this is the thing: you've the 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 front wheel, especially at, at lower off-road speeds, is where it's all at. Yes. that's where you're yeah. going to go no matter what you're doing that front wheel turning the front wheel and then letting the bike follow it yeah is a is a really good skill to learn early on and getting out of the habit of of road riding where you simply lean on counter steering and the, yeah exactly and also and 
and learning to weight your pegs to turn i think that's the other thing you're using your hips and you're weighting your feet to actually turn the bike below you so it's almost the opposite to road riding whereas road riding you want to be leaning more than the bike mm-hmm. off road it's the polar opposite you want to have the bike length more than you are you stay relatively upright engage the knobbly parts on the side of the tires and tip the bike in um so it's, it's very different the other massive advantage of standing up of course is your vision yeah looking ahead um, yeah and this is this is a a very typical bike biker problem which you'll which you will have been taught to overcome on the road which is to yeah. not look straight down in front of you um at slow or at high speeds it's to look where you're going and the bike will will turn with it with off-road riding it's the same but also you've got the added element of there's a big rock over there yeah you're so trying to i need see to see that well in advance i want to get out of that line early yeah not right before and then well if you're constantly reacting to things that are a meter in front of your front wheel it just becomes mm. a mess doesn't it yeah you want to have processed all those things coming towards you in good time exactly um, so that you know what's coming up um what about speed now crawl, crawl along waddle along feet on the floor flat out so i the first time the first times i went out like i said when i was doing those downhills i was feet on the floor and crab walking it down yeah which is and there is a time and place for waddling definitely there is a time and place for waddling definitely and a lot and for a lot of what you'll be doing you will be waddling to begin with and it just takes time to i think i saw a really interesting it was like a graph or something i think it was on break magazine or or some adventure youtube channel and basically they said that the your riding position changes from you have the easiest terrain where you're sat then you have most off-road terrain where you're stood and then you have the very very hardest which is back down to waddle, which is sat down waddling, <laughs> and they said that it's a, it's a legit technique if it's that hard. And I suppose then that is uh, what's really hard for one rider isn't for the next. So you know there there is a time and place, and you don't expect everybody to be up on the pegs um, confidently going down a, a rocky descent on the first time they've ever ridden. No, it's okay and, to waddle occasionally. Exactly, it's good to it's anything you're not comfortable with, especially in the, in the outset, is is feet down and waddle it and and then you will the next time you go out you'll say okay well i'm gonna i'm gonna stand up now i'm gonna try it standing up and there's no harm in you know getting halfway down your descent and then finding you have to you know you want to start waddling again but it's just it's just slow slow progression but what Um, you find is once you start getting stood up on the bike suddenly you're like oh wow this is so much easier than it was before and that just comes that's just confidence yeah and that ties into this next point of what you were saying about speed as well but it's momentum yes stopping stop start is bad is bad and i wrote in my notes here don't go slow and it's a strange thought especially when you first start out that the idea of the faster you go the easier it becomes yeah to an extent but to an extent yeah speed is your speed is your friend yeah off-road definitely Um, allows the bike to move to get up and over obstacles that if you're going too slowly yeah would stop you and if there's conditions that cause the rear tire to to move around which will happen a lot yeah especially in dusty conditions you know sandy conditions or muddy conditions having the speed or the momentum not necessarily the speed but the momentum yeah keeps the bike going forward because the the gyroscopic effect the, the the wheels want to stay up yeah as long as the wheels are turning the bike wants to be upright mm. it doesn't and want a, to fall over it's a horrible thing to to learn but it's something that you will you've almost got to push through that 
there's a sort of an A speed that feels a bit scary. And then once you push through that up to what uh, what I would call like trail speed, mm-hmm. which is the speed that that trail ideally should be ridden at, and suddenly it flows together and it feels lovely. But get, getting from the kind of waddling to that trail speed is is the tricky part. Yeah. Um, one thing I would say you're saying about uh, rear wheel slipping and things is just being ultra careful with your inputs to every single control on the bike. Uh, I wrote an article uh, just over a year ago uh, about riding in the snow and ice. The same thing is true. Yeah, with your, with your rally. That was Zero on the CRF rally. rally, yeah, when we had a load of snow. And I wrote an article about in any low grip situation being so sensitive with the controls because every input you make to the bike is exaggerated in low grip. So like you said, in dust, in mud, in snow and ice, um, you twist the throttle where on a dry surface or on the road, the tyre grips and you go forward. Instead, the tyre spins and very often will go sideways. You brake, the wheels lock up. Um, you know, you let the clutch out too quickly, you end up with a load of wheel spin. So it's just being really, really careful um, and smooth with every single control application in the bike. So getting onto the throttle smoothly, braking gently to start with not just grabbing a handful i would only ever brake with two fingers off-road ne- never ever need to use four fingers to brake off-road jumping back to the the what you were saying about the rear wheel as well this is something that you will need to get used to happening yes now on the road for road riders the idea of a rear wheel slip rear, your rear wheel slipping is a terrifying for thought mo- for most road riders yeah they're an absolute maniac off-road it's just it's a skill it's a core it's skill just another it's just another day on the trails and again a lot of these things are just little fears and little counterintuitive things mm. that you have to learn to to overcome and you won't you won't learn these things on day one you learn these things through well, consistent hours and hours on the trails isn't it yeah so should we jump into some specific yes yeah, yeah. Parts absolutely types of trails that you might come across yeah so let's start with probably I think mm, one of the most fun, not the most fun, that's going to come later, but one of the most fun. They're horrible to begin with. but once Terrifying to start with, but the most satisfying. Yeah. Hill climbs. Yeah. Love a good hill climb. <laughs> it's so satisfying when you get to the top. Yes. Um, and, you know, I've had horrible issues with hill climbs in the past. Yeah. And they've been, hill climbs in the sense have been my biggest things to overcome and especially with a big adventure bike the big thing here is you do not stop is that momentum again yeah that you were talking about you and do not stop no matter what happens if you're if the back wheel bumps about out the back and starts moving around it doesn't matter you just, just keep, you keep just gotta, going, yeah. you just kind of close your eyes and well, you, 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 look, you, you're gonna look you, ahead you just gotta look ahead <laughs> and just just pray for the best yeah but, but no so a hill climb uh, you know if you're starting out you i've never done this but you might want to walk up it and see how especially if it goes around a You've corner never done anything as sensible as stop and walk up it. no a, a that's way too much energy Planning energy and, use yeah um no i think it's a good, good really good idea yeah but especially yeah. if it goes around a corner you don't know how far that, that one in manhattan yep you know i thought that it was that hairpin and that was it but it's not it's that hairpin and then and there's steeper. another hairpin yeah. and then and then even further and then a gate on the on a, on the hill climb and if you'd have actually walked up that you probably would have gone no thanks uh, maybe not the best idea yeah but um i think so starting in the correct gear yeah for a start you don't the last thing you want to be doing is shifting up or down the box yeah. once you're on the hill climb so it's normally i would say it's going to be first or second really isn't it on an adventure bike like especially on my t7 if it's a, if i see a steep hill coming up 
I will almost always drop down to first. Even if I, yeah, if I was in second and I was going on a full pe- a fair pace and I saw a steep hill climb, you drop to first. I would probably drop to first and and have it higher revving in first than having to worry about dropping down that gear halfway up. Do you never find that the bikes? too kind of oversensitive if you're if you are going up quickly in first and you say you're doing say 15 20 miles an hour up mm-hmm. the hill do you never do you not find that the gearing's so low that you've got too much torque and power going through the rear wheel no fair enough maybe no. i mean uh, i'm a lot i'm doing a lot more hill climbs in second now than i have um, and that's probably just confidence is it and yeah but i feel that you know the sheer weight of the bike and the and even with knobblier tires you don't get anywhere near as much grip as you would on a, on a smaller yeah. bike and you lose a lot of that's the other thing that i'll say on a bigger bike you lose a lot of momentum speed. very quickly yeah and so, the last thing you want is to be in a gear that's too high and then you run the risk of lugging the engine or stalling mm. which is pretty catastrophic yeah. i mean on a smaller bike like mine i would say most it's very rare that i'm going up something in first because first is so short first yeah. is for getting me out of you know if i'm stuck and i need to pop up over a log or something so I think yeah, it depends on the bike you've got, but okay. So, but certainly a low gear. There's nothing wrong with doing hill climbs in second, but if it's a climb that's you know so steep or so un, un, uneven that you're going to need to go down to first, you don't you know, you've got to halfway you've, up. Do you've you've you? got to you've got to clutch in. You've got to get off the throttle, which will lose you a lot of momentum. Yeah. Then you've got to shift past and hope to God that you don't accidentally shift it into neutral. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, and also because you stood up, that also mean that means taking your left foot off the peg to an extent in order to yeah no, it's better so, to be the whole hill climb in one gear in ev- everything that you are going to be doing in the hill climb gear momentum whatever riding position should be set up before yeah. you start the climb and it's just safe to say if you do have to stop you're probably if it's a reasonably steep hill climb you're not going to get going again on your own and if you do it's going to be very difficult I've, yeah I've, I've had many hill climbs where i've had to go back down to a flatter yeah, area yeah yeah or I've had and to then push start you again or yeah you get your to other riders to, get to you push you back up halfway up what about what's your riding position like on a hill climb you right over the front wheel still are you hanging off the back are you somewhere somewhere in between i normally find I'm, I'm trying to balance between keeping the front wheel down so my weight far enough forward especially if there's little bumps on mm. the way up um, because the last thing i want especially on a lighter kind of not more powerful but my gear bike's much lower geared and much more responsive the last thing i want is to be hitting a bump with my weight back and having the front wheel come up yeah. and almost wheeling up a hill climb which is quite easy to do but at the same time keeping enough traction over the rear wheel because if you go too far forward your rear wheel just spins and you stop so it's it's managing that and, and that that comes from being stood up on the bike and being mobile on it i think yeah you know not being afraid to change your position having a bike like the tenere with a we said last week with a slim flat seat really helps with that and same with enduro bikes that's why they're designed that way a big thing for me as well, especially on the bigger bikes, is uh, as you go up a hill climb, especially if it's quite a long, even if it's a long, quite shallow climb, you you lose a lot of energy and you're constantly fighting or with your arms. You'll get your arms. Oh, you mean f- like physical energy? Yeah. yeah, your forearms will get tired, tired very quickly. Yeah. And it's mentally pushing with your feet because the climb will just pull you back. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And you don't want to, right. and that's the other thing. You don't want to just be hanging your whole weight off the handlebars because that's going to um, lighten the front wheel. So you've got yeah. to be consciously pushing with your with your legs to get a bit of weight off the. Yeah, off that's the bars. a good point. Actually. It's a tricky. It's one. It's one of the tricky things that you know 
I come across these days. And mm. it's the, it's kind of like the thing that I focus on more when I, when I do my hill climbs now is... And when you're is, in the gym, that's something you specifically focus on, right? Mm. With your, you know, your, the bike-specific exercises that you do. Well, I don't go to the gym. I just, I, I tend to lever the bike down and just sort of deadlift that. Squat the bike. Yeah. James has never been to a gym, by the way. I, I used to when I lived in Australia <laughs> about 10 years ago. <laughs> On the Gold Coast. <laughs> Yeah, beach bod. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the other thing I'd say, yeah, go <laughs> back on topic. Um, when going uphill, line choice is even more important than it would be on the flat. Because again, we don't want to lose any momentum. We want to avoid rocks and bumps that are going to cause the front wheel to lift. We want to um, know exactly what's coming up. And ideally, if you've walked it beforehand, you'll have a good idea of the line you want to take before you attempt the hill climb. Yeah, because we did, I think I mentioned back in episode one that one we did it was chucking down with rain and it was a really after yeah. had a really bad weather really washed out hill climbs so you, have a, you have a, you have like a really it. deep gully through the middle and because it's it's water it's water running it will move all the way through the trail and looking at that line and making sure you stick to that line otherwise your bike's just going to end up you know in a bank or in a hedge and then you've lost all your momentum and you have to stop yeah and that, that trail we were having to almost piece together like a jigsaw wasn't it little bit by bit but that, that was very very tricky so we've gone up the hill what goes up must come down descents how hate, do you feel about descents I james descents. descents are my worst the worst part of trail riding if i come to a descent i why do you think they're so much scarier than the the climbs especially on an adventure bike because i agree I, th- I prefer going up but I don't, I'm not, I don't dread descent, so I can still get down. I'm a lot better than I used to be. Yeah. Going up, it, if you stop, you pretty much stop where you are. You just fall to the and side. And you just fall over. With a descent, especially a steep descent, if that bike either suddenly stops because you've stalled or whatever, and you're on top of the bike, there's a, there's a bigger chance of you going over the front, yeah. or you fall off and then the bike falls down on top of you. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and then especially sense. with steep descents where you can't see what's in front of you, I don't like riding, and I'm sure most people don't like riding, where they can't think, okay, well, I can stop. I know that yeah. I can stop within this distance. And with descents, especially with blinded descents, you kind of have to put a certain element of faith in. Yeah. Because, again, the slower you go, the more likely you are to stall the bike or, or lose balance on the bike. And it's, it's that momentum again. Yeah, although keep... I think when we, we've got to make it clear that your momentum on a descent is... On an ascent, on a climb mm-hmm. you want to be going at a reasonable pace you don't want to be trying to crawl up a climb you want to you know get on the gas be positive with the throttle and get out on a descent you you're right you want momentum but you want to be going pretty oh it's a much pretty much, slow. much slower momentum and it's not like mountain biking it's not that kind of pace of tearing down the hill it's especially on an adventure bike it's taking it really really slow and steady and i'm finding them feeling that grip yeah. and there's a surprising amount actually isn't there yeah, this is really quite can be quite a complex skill to learn. So you're usually not touching the throttle. Say you're on a really steep one and you're in first gear. You've got your front brake in your right hand. You've got your back brake in your right foot, and you've got the clutch in your left hand. Two fingers on, on each. both. Yeah, on both. And, I'm, and, and you're so to say, you're, and you're covering the clutch the whole way. Yeah, yeah. And it's tricky because. By the way, James is doing a little impression of a Tyrannosaurus Rex right now. For those of you that can't see, it's great. It's little tiny arms. Visualising. Little fingers, yeah. <laughs> it's a complicated, especially depending on your gearing. Now, I had this problem with the Tiger because the first gear was geared too, too high. Oh, okay. So when you're going down, sometimes you can't go down 
at just the engine speed in first gear sometimes that's too fast fine yeah yeah the bike almost gets away from you so you have to then use the brake a little bit Mm -hmm. but then you can't use the brake too much because you run the risk of stalling the bike so then you have to pull the clutch in but if you pull the clutch in all the way then the bike will just use all your engine braking and the bike will just roll and that's so it's it's learning that fine balance and at the same time you want to control the brakes enough so you're not locking anything up i mean that you won't the chance of locking up the front wheel is is a lot slimmer but which is why you should be covering two fingers as opposed to giving it a full handful and it's kind of like last week when we were saying about the importance if you can of having a fully switchable abs system yeah because abs systems cut in way too early for off-road mm-hmm. and you yeah, you don't want to be locking your front wheel but you need to be able to get as close to that limit as as is possible and um, it's interesting you're saying about the the whole difference between your current bike and your old bike with with engine braking because i found i've noticed this before my bike's so short geared and so light that very often i can be in second gear with the clutch out not touching a single brake following you down in a descent and i can see that you're having to brake mm-hmm and I'm sat there literally just chilling out. I don't have to touch a single control on the bike because in second gear, the engine's just holding the bike perfectly at I don't know, five miles an hour or something. Whereas on a 200 kilo adventure bike that's geared for ultimately for motorway speeds, you're having to work quite hard to keep that, that speed under control. Which brake are you using primarily? Front. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, I think this is a real myth to get away from. And everybody thinks downhill, you don't want your front to tuck, use the back brake. But honestly, I mean, don't go anywhere near your back brake on a steep descent because all that will happen is the back end will slide. You've got no weight on it anyway because all your weight's on your front wheel. It will slide, it will spin around, it'll overtake the front and you'll fall down the hill. Yeah. If you come across a descent and you think, okay, I'm going to stand, you know, stand up as well that's the other thing you want to be on the pegs you want to still have that yeah the freedom for the bike especially on a rocky descent because that they want the bike's going to bounce and you need to keep as much balance as possible so you need to let the bike still move underneath you and you stay loose and you know in control but if you find at any point in the descent that you need to stop then gently clutch in front brake in and then back down in the saddle feet on the feet on the ground yeah and try and make sure that you've you can see somewhere steady to put your feet yeah and it's because i've done that a few times i've never i've had to stop on a descent and i'm on a camber and the the bike's just falling over yeah especially on a corner or something yeah yeah and it and it will happen and it's just these are just things that you you have to you have to suffer through Do you try and catch the bike or do you you bet do you think you're better especially on a venture bike to just let it go often it's better to I, i think it's better to slow it okay yeah yeah yeah, fine uh, so control the again you're crash. gonna you're gonna you're gonna learn at which point you can't recover it and there's a risk that you can injure yourself though is what exactly. kind of what i'm exactly. getting towards you don't want to you don't want to injure yourself you you want to realize okay it's gonna go i'm just gonna put it down i'm not gonna just drop it I'm gonna so we went out with um i think it was neil a little while ago and he's only got crf 250 and he he did exactly that he absolutely ruined his back trying to catch a little crf 250 that that had already gone he was never going to catch it he put so much effort into it and he's pulled a load of muscles in his back and it's given him some real jip now so i think yeah ultimately a bike can be fixed just let it go so that's enough on the horrible stuff best bits best bits water, <laughs> water crossings i love them they're Absolutely so much fun love them. i don't know what it is it's just it just feels so silly it's more fun in winter because it's it's muddy puddles yeah the yeah muddy, i constant. love muddy puddles yeah especially when you come home and and emily goes just looks at you in the garden and is like 
what what have you done have you done you're hosing yourself yeah, off hosing in the yourself garden. Up, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's brilliant yeah and i think it's because it, it just takes you right back to your childhood you know putting your wellies on uh one piece waterproof suit and, and jumping in puddles there's something uh, quite childish about it but it's definitely one of the most adventure bike things you can do yeah and you get absolute insta bangers from it as well, well I, was, I was just about to say the pictures of my water crossings <laughs> on instagram everyone loves froths over them yeah so yeah if you want to get some uh some social media kudos go and ride through some some rivers and puddles and they're not they're not that difficult no but it, it's just again it's, it's in the preparation That's and it. it's just being being smart about it yeah i mean first thing i'd say is it can go wrong yeah is check the depth and you can because yeah you can go wrong and it can cause a huge amount of damage to your bike mm. i mean so taffy dakar again remember that river crossing that we oh yeah crossed yeah. yeah so i came i went across on the tiger and i must have just lined it up perfectly because i went across straight i didn't have to change direction at all yeah. went across parked the bike up turned around with the gopro i went back through. down you came through you got through okay yeah then Colin but I had came, a little slip yeah it slid around a bit what we didn't realise was that it was just like sheer granite yeah underneath so slippery and then Colin came through and the bike just went whew. and it was no saving it no and then the other chap that we were with um, Chris Chris did he the did same. the same yeah. on his on his rally and, and, and actually Colin did hurt himself and we said none of us have injured ourselves but Colin did yeah he couldn't, badly, he couldn't actually. ride the next day could he no he barely and got through the day and if we'd have ridden that because the funny thing is I went running in to help Colin and slipped and over and I slipped over yeah. and that's on GoPro it's hilarious but if I if we'd have walked that we would have known and we would have we would have looked you at it a lot differently yeah, yeah absolutely because you don't know what's under there you don't know how deep it is you don't know it might be really really sandy really deep and slushy and logs you're going to bury the bike or, or, yeah, yeah, yeah anything. anything tubular so logs plastic pipes that you sometimes get yeah um we had there was a big metal pipe under one that we went yeah. through the other yeah, day yeah. and they because they they catch your wheel yeah. and you and you slide and you do you, you just don't you, you don't want that bike to fall out fall in and then of course the the actual depth of the thing i mean mm-hmm. it's one of these things you've got to accept that if you're going to go out and ride in that kind of weather you're getting wet anyway so getting a stick and treading into some into into a uh, a puddle or a, uh, a river or something and getting a bit wet it's not the end of the world you're getting wet anyway but what you could do is stop yourself from hydrolocking your bike if you go into something that's too deep you suck a load of water in through your air filter um, I think it's quite easily done we've all been again quite lucky because we've we've ridden through some pretty we've had water up to the sort of seats almost that haven't deep we deep stuff yeah and um, you would not want to be stopping in them yeah so check, check them first there's a there's a key to momentum again here as well because the one thing that always stands out to me is how much the bike slows, slows down as, the, you, hit as, the, yeah. as you get into the water. You don't realise how much it slows, and you've you've almost just got to double the power you've got. Yes, just to keep the same speed. Yeah, um, yeah. It's not uncommon to be almost full throttle mm-hmm. going through these things just to keep the wheels turning. And you don't want and and you don't want to stop. You don't want to fall over, but you don't also don't want to stop because the riverbed is not usually not solid sk- yeah and if you stop and then have to start again and then you start spinning the rear wheel yeah no you, you get yourself in a real a real pickle and also the, yeah i mean if you're if you as long as your exhaust is blowing air out even mm-hmm. if your exhaust goes under a little bit you'll probably be all right if you stop and the exhaust is underwater and it sucks water in you're in trouble so don't change gear again pick your gear first suitable gear for whatever river river crossing or puddle or whatever you're doing 
um, maintain your speed not too fast you don't want to be flying in at 30 miles an hour because like James said it slows you down very quickly and I think then that could be quite easy to have a little over the bar moment yeah and then yeah just gradually get on the power in order to maintain the same speed all the way through hmm. and especially to begin with it is lining up so you just go through straight oh yeah yeah definitely so you hate descents I don't love descents but I don't mind them what I don't like are grassy muddy ruts that's the one thing in green laning where if i see just a really long rutty i don't mean like a stony rutty one i mean when you've just got a grassy lane that a load of people have driven land rovers up and down um and all you've got is just a a kind of a tire width um sometimes sort of 10 15 inch high rut i don't have any fun on those no i i used to hate ruts and the first time you guys go out and you the the listener go out and ride a rut you all hate them too and i i remember going out in the tiger and it's horrible you basically have to paddle your way through because that that front wheel the second it hits it taps the side the whole thing lurches to the side yeah and tries to fall over slows that side of the wheel and so the wheel turns and it and it's horrible trying to get through that this was the type of trail that taught me and forced me to learn to overcome my fear of being up on the pegs yeah, and having yeah. more control on because it seems counterintuitive you think sat down with your feet on the floor to cap, capture the bike you're going to have more control no being up on the pegs in ruts gives me more control yeah. and and then that key thing momentum so the faster I was going through the ruts the more upright the bike the bike stayed and again just we're not talking you're not going through them at sort of 30 miles an hour no you're still probably only doing 10 miles an hour yeah if but, that, you, but you're not but it, a walking pace yeah and the momentum when the when the front wheel does tap the side of the rut it doesn't have that same effect where it lurches the bike to the side mm. you still gotta you know waddle about on in the pegs to keep it keep it going but the momentum and the balance it takes a, it it does take a while and this was the first thing that was my was my development this was the first thing that pushed me Sure. into that momentum and standing up and and now they're a million times easier the the breakthrough moment for me was when i got confident with using the power to get me out of those horrible front end washy slides because the, the instinct is, is to, to pull break. in the brakes just and grab just the front brake and then put your feet down but what happens then is you fall off yeah because you all you do is you lock the front wheel and you fall off or you just have some horrible horrible moment covering the clutch is a good idea because you can kind of use slipping the clutch to just bring it back under control but the main thing is i've always i find now if i feel that front just start to go just a little bit of gas takes the weight back off the front end because that's usually what we're trying to do is put weight on the front end when we're off road for grip when that's sliding well you're already past the point of grip you're not going to get any grip back by putting more weight on it get the weight off the front end um lift it up it will then regain traction and uh, and away you go so i say yeah getting on the gas in ruts is uh it's pretty critical <laughs> but they suck and you do. and you're gonna hate them but there's, no way, there's no way around them especially in the uk i mean loads of our lanes are, are muddy ruts especially in winter and it's a good and it's a great skill to, to yeah, pick up yeah absolutely definitely and it's a safer way of learning those skills of momentum and standing up because it's usually just grass and mud that you're going to flip the bike onto <laughs> yeah so it's not as bad as yeah, that's true there's usually relatively little damage that you do when you do fall off it's just which em- it's just embarrassing leads us nicely into your area sort of main area of expertise when it comes to off-road riding james is a uh, deadlift pretty proficient uh yeah picking up adventure bikes <laughs> out in the mud 
all by himself with no swearing. Yeah, I learned ever. I learned this of because um, the people I ride with have eventually learned and refused to help me pick up my bike. Well, I can't because of social distancing, James. <laughs> so be irresponsible. So I've learned to pick it up by myself. And also, yeah, it's much funnier to just sit and stand and watch or film. Now, the easiest way you've probably all seen um, people on YouTube and the internet show you how to lift these these bikes up bikes down on its side you turn the handlebars in then you stand behind the bike squat down with your with your butt against the seat grab on a grab handle or whatever on the back grab the handlebar and then walk it back up which is which is fine if you're on the flat and you know you've got the strength to do so um and much easier if you've got a gs and a big boxer engine because they never fall over they oh, always, you mean they never properly they, they always sit yeah, about 45 yeah, degrees. That's so true. Super easy. But if you've got a nice tenere, a nice skinny tenere, that goes down nice and flat. Yeah. <laughs> um, Luckily, it weighs 50 kilos less. Yeah, true. Now, if you, let's say you come off on a hill climb or on a camber and the bike's at an angle, say it's it's leaning down so the wheels are higher up than the, the bottom of the bike. That's always the hardest. That's the always hardest the hardest bit, one. Isn't it? Yeah. And a good way to, an easy way to mitigate that is literally just to turn the, is to turn the bike. Yeah, you've done that before. You, it's, I mean, it looks horrible because you're effectively just dragging your bike around on the yeah. floor. Yeah, but it doesn't. It doesn't actually. As long as you've got the protection, it's usually okay. So you grab the rear end or or the handlebars, and you literally just pivot the bike around to where it needs to be, and then and then do the same. Lift it back up. If it's if it's fallen down on the right hand side, which is easier, because then you can open the side stand. So you just yeah, lift it up and. Yeah put it back onto the side stand if it's fallen the other side it's a bit trickier because especially if it's fallen and slipped into neutral because you get it back up and then it can roll yeah, yeah. and it's tricky that's a good point trying to put so try and put the bike in gear yeah before you lift it is a really yeah. good shout yeah so if it falls on the right pop it in gear just by hand side stand out then when you lift it up and it'll move it'll fall away from you but onto the side stand and it is in gear so it won't roll i've had an issue where i've been stuck on a hill climb i've spun it around and it's been on a really flat stone surface so i couldn't get my feet or my hand underneath it to click it into gear oh, it, so every time i tried to pick it up it, it just rolled. started rolling <laughs> and it took me forever to oh, get it yeah, okay. i eventually i eventually did but your bike's not still there no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but obviously i mean we joke about it but fundamentally if you've got mates there get them to help mm. it's much safer for you for the bike um you lose use less energy less chance of injuring yourself less chance of chucking the bike over the other side and, dro- and damaging it more um so if you've got friends there get them to help you i think a big thing as well is to be prepared for the fact that it will happen if you go out in your adventure bike so, and yeah it's unavoidable and think that it's not going to get a scratch on it then you're in a dreamland you're in a dreamland it will happen because it doesn't even matter how good you are because no matter how good you are you will presumably be trying to push your abilities to the next level exactly i come off less than i used to but i still come off an awful lot yeah, and that's because, because every trying- time i go out i i think okay well last time i just managed to get on this ascent on the pegs this time i want to go down without using the brakes so much with yeah. a bit more flow with, and you and you just keep and that's what i love about about going out and trail riding is because other as opposed to road riding where you can sort of switch off and sort of mm. flow yourself around on a ride this you're always engaged well you're, um, you're always at the kind of limit of falling off which on the road is not an option 
safely. Mm. You cannot ride safely on the road on the edge of Edition because if you crash on the road, it's it's, it's a big deal always. Um, so off road is the the closest thing you can get to constantly be riding your motorcycle right <laughs> right at its limit of grip and right at your limit while still being relatively safe. I think. Good point. So I think that that pretty much brings us to the end so if you've if you've been following along from this you've you've gone out you've ridden a few trails and you've enjoyed it hopefully yeah and i I find it very hard to believe that most people if they do it in the right way will not enjoy it i mean you've done it completely the wrong way and you still enjoy it (laughs) i love it i absolutely love it so yeah so from here you're going to start you start building a shopping list yeah i get at least one new product that i put on a wish list or a shopping list every single time i go out without fail yeah to begin with it'll be things like tires bark busters you know things to make the bike ride better and to protect the bike yeah which if you listen to any of our previous podcasts we've we've spoken loads about um those sort of things haven't we what about kit i mean we said earlier that you can just start at anything but there are there are some things that I wouldn't rush out to spend a thousand pounds on. Um, there are some key pieces of kit that I would recommend people spend a little bit of money on. Yeah, so a big one for me, uh, even though I started trail riding in winter, was my helmet. Now my Arai helmet as a road helmet is lovely, but it's really squish. It's full of padding, mm. and it is really concise and a quite a small field of view yeah yeah that's true yeah so i that was one of the first things to get changed and i ended up under your recommendation going for the bell mx9 adventure helmet now i've written a really long review about it on it's not the best adventure helmet in the world on the website no and that's that's what um what i wrote basically but it's it's what it's it's usually about 190 quid between 150 and 200 quid depending on color blah 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 mm-hmm. where and you I, buy it from i would i don't think i'd ever spend i I know i would never spend less than 100 quid or 150 quid in a helmet i don't think yeah. um sure. so this is a good affordable helmet because the problem is you know i wanted a shoey hornet adv that's the that's oh, where yeah. everyone that or the ri whatever that's yeah. called i can't remember but the four five hundred quid yeah if you take a tumble at five miles an hour and you fall and you end up bopping your head on a on a protruding rock yeah you but it's not like crashing at 80 miles an hour where you needed the safest helmet in the in the world you just needed something to take a five mile an hour impact yeah but the thing is that then 500 pound helmet is just thin bent so it's still not gonna be great to have to bend your bell no but but for a cost to performance ratio it's really good it's really light there's a much wider field of view the airflow is a lot better than than the road helmet you can wear it with goggles wear it with goggles because you'll get you'll get steamed up and you'll you'll get sweaty and yeah and you lose concentration when you when you can't breathe properly it's the worst feeling and you you don't want to take your helmet off because i remember i was taking my air eye off at the end of every trail you don't want to be doing that you want to be riding so that's a big one for me change to reasonably priced adventure helmet yeah something like the bell mx9 or or equivalent and then nolan do a good one as well now Mm. and then gloves as well so nice big thick warm winter mitts yeah no they're horrible (laughs) especially when you're when you're feathering the clutch and the brake and you're using two fingers even in normal road gloves if you try and do that for too long it is 
agony yeah, so you, you need don't have the really either. flexible also light and breathable because you're going to be sweating you're, even you don't realise how hot your hands will get hmm. because you're not going fast it's not like on the road where you, the, your extremities get really cold you're working your hands so hard on, a, on an, uh, an off-road bike yeah they get warm so I've in the past I've taken two pairs of gloves yeah, I've taken winter about, gloves to about, ride to the trail pop them in a backpack that. or stuff them inside my jacket and swapped into my kind of mo- almost motocross not motocross gloves but yeah like a adventure bike meshy yeah. gloves um, to ride the trails on because I, I agree it couldn't possibly makes a huge difference huge huge difference and boots is the only other thing I'd say yeah um, and that's partly from a, a safety point of view partly from a performance point of view um, I started off riding in just in my normal kind of commutary boots and for a start they're, so- they're quite soft and flexible they've got some padding in them because they are ultimately designed to to save you in a crash but they're not really designed um, to stop the bike crushing your legs um, so proper adventure boots are very very sturdy and rigid and in the event that the bike lands on your leg they should do something to stop that and the other thing is the sole of the boot is incredibly stiff because you're stood up on the pegs um, you don't really want any flex at all in the in the sole uh, of your footwear um, because that would just mean you know more effort more fatigue from trying to stand up uh, and you also want a really good grip pattern on the bottom almost like a walking boot grip because like it or not you're going to spend a lot of time off the bike you're going to be running up and down hills helping friends out uh, maybe like we said earlier lifting lifting the bike up and if you've got flat soled road riding boots they are going to be hideous when you try and uh, walk up a, a loose hill climb so good pair of boots um, I've got some TCX I think they're called Bajas or Bajaj um, Baja 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 maybe Might be Yeah something like that Anyway I can't remember But yeah some t- TCX ones They've got kind of Plastic buckles They weren't super expensive I didn't want to spend a fortune I want to say they're about 200 quid-ish 150, 200 quid Which I know is not cheap But they're waterproof They feel bomber um, I like the look of them uh, You've got slightly more I've got kind the of... City Gore-Tex Adventure 2s Ooh, Which are the you. Are the 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 most expensive The 1200 bike. GS to Starbucks <laughs> Boot <laughs> no, they're um, very nice, though. But they are. They're, they're, they're meant to be, you know, among the best. And when you're buying these big sort of shin-high boots, as a, if you were just going trail riding, then motocross boots would do the job fine. They're yeah. less expensive. The The problem with motocross boots is they are completely rigid. There is no ankle articulation that, at all, do no. they? So as, as an adventure rider, especially if you're traveling, let's say mm. you were doing the Tet or, or whatever, you want a pair of boots that is much is more comfortable walking around in well they may be like your primary piece of footwear for the whole trip you might have a set of flip-flops for the campsite exactly but they might be your only pair of exactly so you need that trade-off between the solid protection of of like a motocross style boot and the f- flexibility and comfort of a of a normal adventure boot and the the city is a good job of doing that I think your TCX your TCXs do that as well yeah no I think so and um, the other thing we said there is waterproof motocross boots aren't really waterproof because it's it's just not a it's not a big deal who cares if you get wet feet when you're on motocross however when you're um, on a big adventure ride you, you don't really want to have soggy feet for days on end no if you can help it but what I will say is the cities aren't ideal in the summer especially if you like splashing about in the water because we went out and did a bunch of water crossings yeah and it was hot and sunny and i got water in my boots now oh, because we were you Gore- got it over the top yeah so yeah. gore-tex boots guaranteed waterproof 
that also means they still have a massive hole at the top that means water getting in but it also means water getting out so you they will not dry for the rest of the time the year in in the well they take ages to dry yeah take absolutely ages so in the summer i'm thinking of getting a cheap pair that will just rinse water through because it doesn't matter if it's hot and i'm just out for the day but if i was going for anything longer like a tet trip i would i would definitely have the the cities take your gore ones Mm. um other over gear i'm kind of less less fussed about i mean i think you ideally you want something quite lightweight um you want something flexible something that's quite breathable because again we're going to get hot so ideally yeah if you've got something you can take a layer in and out of quite easily um that's good but i mean i've i'm still just riding an old winter textile gear i haven't got anything i've just got my adventure textile gear yeah and that does the job absolutely fine i'm thinking about getting a set of sort of body armor and then the jersey just for the summer yeah yeah because it can Um, get a bit hot sometimes can't it yeah but it's not an essential buy it's it's more of just a it's a luxury and with all of this kit be prepared for it to get wrecked yeah don't not necessarily torn but it's going to get really muddy it's going to get scuffed it's going to get you know it's not going to look new for very long which is the point you don't want i mean i think there's nothing worse than adventure bike gear that looks like it's just had the tags pulled off it oh yeah 100 percent. looks awful so um i think that's it yeah i think that is uh well not so brief overview and how to get into off-road riding i thought this was going to be a 40 minute episode we are way over double that at the moment (laughs) good but no that's good Um, information definitely so I suppose you, you may cut it down post post editing. I'm yeah, sure. I'll edit out all the nonsense you've been spouting. Yeah, fair. Have you got anything you want to chat about? Any? This is free time, oh, Ross. You free can, time. I can talk about anything. Any, anyone that has stuck around clearly likes the sound of our voices. <laughs> so yeah. Okay, fair enough. Well, I mean, I thought we'd we could talk about. Um, you sent me a review to the to the Tenere that I think you sent it like two days after we did the podcast. Yeah, which you. Uh, you thought was quite interesting so uh, it's a youtuber you qu- you're quite fond of isn't it Fortnite. he is brilliant the cinematography the insight that he provides uh, and he just talks about loads of different things as well it's not just like here's a review of this bike here's a review of this bike mm. it is he talks about everything like his last video he did was all about harley davidson and basically how they've Ugh. how they've shot themselves in the foot with their you know they've chosen their hill to die on and now they're dying on it right yeah okay but real deep dive stuff and he did a a video saying the yamaha tenere 700 is it really that good i just wanted to say there's a (laughs) great little harley davidson thing i saw the other day because they did a black lives matter post Mm -hmm. and then someone i follow on instagram (laughs) dug up that in 1974 or something they had the confederate edition of one of their oh, bikes no. covered in a confederate flag i thought it was brilliant just digging up a company's past and going hmm do you really stand for all of that anyway so he did a video yamaha tenery 700 is it any good and i thought oh i really respect this guy's opinions and he's gonna slate your bike i know and it starts out basically being like yamaha hyped up his bike for three years and then it comes out and it's 204 kilograms wet and you know the ktm 790 has been out for a year and when you whack suspension on the t7 you're not that far away from the price of the 790 and the 790 already got all this engine protection and everything on it so why would you go for a t7 and then he basically goes on to say about the the design of it's mainly about the swing arm and i 
he's he's either got a degree or a phd or, or something in physics he's he's really smart and stuff that i'm i'm not smart enough to talk about here so i'd recommend you go and watch it but talked about the way the swing arm is designed that nobody else has covered in any review whatsoever and basically explaining that the weight ratio and the way it's all built and basically saying this is a phenomenal big adventure bike that kind of rides like a dirt bike and then basically said like i don't want my bmw fa50 anymore high praise then (laughs) yeah high praise so so that was fun and um so that's a a review that's worth um yeah it's only like a nine minute video and and his videos are that they the they've done really well and there's loads of interesting stuff about he did the great one about like the lies that manufacturers tell you about bikes all the the sort of dry and wet weights and torque and power all of this and he has a whiteboard and and basically just lays it all out it's really he's a, he's a smart kid and and i hope he's going to do a, a shout out for our podcast in his next video because you're, you're giving him a lot of airtime. um i messaged him no i didn't no, no of course i didn't well, he's you, no of course you did but you just didn't reply <laughs> <laughs> which brings us on then so next week's episode i think what we're going to do is we're going to talk about used adventure bikes then so um buying a second-hand bike in order to either go off-road or go adventure bike riding one one, one or other or both um so we're not going to be looking at brand new or probably i'm probably avoiding nearly brand new we're going to be looking at much more at the kind of affordable entry uh entry level mm. into the market we'll trawl through auto trader we'll have a wander around the warehouse here yeah and then i think what we're going to do as well we'll post post these bikes that we're going to talk about on on the website on the I website think, yeah. as examples and then we can sort of pick them apart and sort of say well what this you- one i think we you know you probably have a look at this and yeah just kind of what's good you yeah, know what's, I- lo- what's look out for when making a when when making a a used bike purchase from either a private buyer or a dealer hmm. and then ross is going to tell tell us all the secrets of negotiating to get a really really cheap price aren't you there's no cheap prices james <laughs> no. there's no cheap prices all the prices are cheap prices aren't they they're all it's good all value ba- it's all good value there they're you go good value james <laughs> we don't sell cheap bikes we sell good value bikes okay no no but we will yeah no absolutely we'll, we'll look at um negotiating skills and and things you might be able to either ask for money off or there might be things in in some deals that um rather than money off you want things done to the bike but yeah we'll come on to that next week so yeah, thank great. you to everyone that's uh, stuck around we hope that that's provided some inspiration um if not inspiration some information um that kind of gives you some of the tools and the knowledge to get off road on your bike if you want to speak to us then fire us an email uh, at 9to5adv at gmail.com and we will read them out and then talk about them here. If you want to contact us directly or you want to follow us on our day-to-day, I'm on Instagram at 9to5adv. Ross is over at... Uh, at Devonshire underscore biker. And if you want to leave a review then great do it in whatever app you're using yeah please do please do that'd be fantastic and if you want to support the show without actually having to give us any money whatsoever we've got a couple of affiliate links in the description of this and every episode uh in the uk if you if you want to buy anything from sports bike shop which is a huge 
motorcycle retailer if you're in the states same thing but with revzilla click through them gives you a tracking cookie anything you buy we get a little bit commission uh, which will help me pay for the equipment that i spent a fortune on to start this podcast yeah but people have been really good so far you, you've you made some last month which is great yeah. loads of people going through yeah. the website which is awesome so thank which you all very much excellent and there was one other thing i was going to mention oh yeah i just want to shout out to um the dealership bridge motorcycles in exeter which is where you work ross and it's where we've been allowed to borrow bikes and more importantly record this podcast so we've got a neutral socially distant space to actually do this yeah absolutely no it's a good uh good setup here um so if you're in the area you want to pop by say hi come in um or we've got a website we can deliver nationwide www.bridgemotorcycles.co.uk i think that'll do it so i will speak to you well we will both speak to you all next week keep adventuring guys and bye for now take care